This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. Joe and Matthew meet up with painter Vivian Waddell and discuss her creative and career paths. Artists are name-checked. The nexus of domesticity, the creative life, and feminism is explored. Criticism gets a review. Double agency rears its ugly head. This is episode 29. We never introduce ourselves, I realized that recently. I'm Matthew White. I'm Joe Camusa. And today the brain fuzz war on men continues with painter <laughs> Vivian Liddell. Uh, another female in a long line of female guests. Yeah. Yeah. Timely. Yeah. We haven't, uh, we haven't spoken with a man in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, um, we're recording today at... But we're open to it. Oh, totally open to it. It's just, Nothing you know, we, wrong with it, we go where the story takes us. The war and on men, the, huh? And so I don't, know, I don't know quite how it worked out this way. Poor but, guys. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, I'm really jumping the gun here, but I've noticed us putting a slideshow together for class, and it's like all my favorite, just about all my favorite painters are women. Mm, have been. That's interesting, because um, that's not been the case with me. Yeah, but, you know, but it, it doesn't matter that they're women. I like the work right, first and foremost, right. but I started just looking down that list, and I was like, oh, um, anyway, let me also say that we're recording today. This is amazing. Yes, on Absolutely the amazing. on site at White Space Gallery. We were all here for a talk earlier and took an opportunity to take shelter from the storm in um, in a room at the home here at White Space. And um, just beautiful, be- beautiful place to record today. Great ambiance. We're not high. But uh, we're surrounded by like bookshelves, tremendous art. Mm-hmm. So if we're a little distracted, it's that. It's not yes. <clears throat> cannabis. Vivian, I introduced you as a painter mm-hmm. earlier, and I believe you consider yourself a painter. However, that is correct. So much of what I've seen is more sculptural. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that, and how do you arrive at that <clears throat> label? Um, well... It's a long road to that label for me, but I've only recently started doing that sculptural stuff. Okay. Um, and even like um, somebody called me a fiber artist recently. I didn't really take to that very kindly. Um, I don't like that label. I feel like if, it, if there's got to be any, like artist is good, but if there's got to be any label, it's going to be painter for me. And it's partially has to do with a perceived hierarchy in my mind of like the, what, what is the top of the food chain in the art world is painting. Um, but I, you know, I have my MFA in painting. I studied painting. I don't know a lot about other um, mediums so much, you know. So I just the way that I relate to art history is painting, um, and also uh, I see things. Even when I'm working in 3D, I'm very much concerned with like uh, one point of view, or you know, shifting point of views, and the, and the way that things relate, like as a flat surface. Um, I don't know. I, I'm into like Rauschenberg kind of mm-hmm. playing with the definition of painting and sculpture a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, so I like to kind of push that a lot, but I still consider all my stuff to be painting, even some t- stuff that doesn't even have paint on it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which I know is kind of ridiculous. No, not at all. What, what do you think drove you or like, what was the progression, you know, to, to, where you are, you know, like, cause like looking at your website, for instance, you know, the seems to go back like three years. I did. I took all the old stuff, which off is, of there. you know, great. Yeah. Um, and you have a really nice website. Um, but I've noticed like some trends in, in the, like the, I think it's three year period. Um, like for once color or for one in color, your use of color, there seems to be a dramatic change. Um, and also, like you said, suddenly, you know, introducing, you know, soft sculpture, embroidery, um, you know, is, was it just a natural progression or kind of, um, so I studied painting and I spent like 10 years doing mostly figurative painting, um, oil Uh even. And then I had my first kid and I had to switch to acrylic because I couldn't oil paint. My studio was attached to my son's like broom with his crib in it. Gotcha. Yeah. And I couldn't paint in oil anymore. 
And so that was the major first thing that happened that was kind of like out of my control that made me kind of really switch my way of working. So I was still doing very mostly figures, um, but I started trying to use acrylic paint. And at the same time, you know, I had a kid, which is a big thing. And I had a teeny studio in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. So I have like my, my kid's room, my studio, which is really small. And I was also um, trying to do like silk screening shirts and like making little dolls to sell at craft fairs, like for extra money on the side. So I had like this teeny space with the baby's room and my paintings and like this sewing slash printmaking area. And I would have to like take one thing and do it and then put it away and then okay. get one other thing out and then put it away. And then I moved to Athens. And so I had these different things that I was working on. Like I had sewing stuff I was working on and I had printmaking stuff I was working on and I had painting stuff I was working on. But when I got my studio in Athens, it was big enough to put all this stuff out at once. Um, and that's what happened. So it was like an organic space change situation okay. where I had been doing these separate things. And then, um, and I tried to go back to oil painting, but it was too late. Like I had already gone down the path of acrylics far enough to where I had figured out how to use them. Right. And then you can't really just turn around and go backwards, you know, like you couldn't just go back to where I was when I was last oil painting. And I'd already like taken this other path and I had started putting fabric into my, I, I started, I moved from Brooklyn to Athens with this really big piece and it's, I started putting, um, like fabric pieces on it and felting into it. So like needle felting into the painting because I could, because it was with acrylic and it was on raw canvas. And I was just like, oh, there's that sewing stuff over there. I'm gonna just start throwing that all together. So I guess really it was a really organic process based on my space. And also immediacy and it just, that makes sense to me. Um, Cause like when I look at like your work, I mean, a couple things really come to mind. In, in, like intense labor, attention to detail. Um, and I use the word obsessive, but I mean that in a good way. Like it seems there's a lot, a lot of different materials, techniques, and yet it's not overwhelming. You know, it's not well, bombastic it's, in any way, but like... It was overwhelming when I was doing paint, like just straight painting. I was just trying to put everything into one painting. Like I really do need to spend a lot of time with the work. Uh -huh. Like I have this Protestant work ethic. I feel like <laughs> I can't just dash something off and it's done. Right. Like I need to spend like 40 hours plus on this piece, you know, for it to be a thing. I'm, I'm getting better at that. I mean, as I get older, I'm like editing more and feeling like... Do you let things like sit though and like come yes. back to it? Because I, no. I don't do that. I don't know. I can't see what I have. I do it now more. As I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm like I'm realizing the value of like, I always think about Brancusi. Like, I know I'm not a sculptor, but like, I think about his very simple things, you know, there's like the egg yeah, mm -hmm. or whatever. And I'm just, you know, so I, I, I feel like when I look at stuff, I like things that look simpler, but then because of who I am, I feel like I need to spend so much time or it's just not good enough, you know? But so the doing the sewing is so labor, you know, it's just like, it's ridiculous. That piece that I have at Athica now that's, that has the hook rug, that thing took me like six months to make, like yeah. watching Netflix at night for six months doing those individual little hooks. Yeah. And the painting took like two days, the painting part of it, like not very much at all. But that was really good for me because I was able to put that intense amount of labor into the work and not kill the painting. Right. Because what I would normally do is just keep painting. What if you were to ship some of that work out? Do you, some people are okay with that. Some people are not okay with that. How do you feel about it? I feel it's good. I don't feel like it's a, it's never going to happen for me. Like I, I don't feel strongly about it. Okay. I mean, I, I think... I'm interested in it in like a whole, you know, I do this feminist podcast and I'm interested in the whole women's unpaid labor thing, you know, so I'm conscious of it. Like I wouldn't oh, yeah, want to like, yeah. I don't feel like I would feel great about asking somebody else to do it for me. And I also feel like it's part of the work to me to acknowledge that that kind of um, handiwork has been kind of shortchanged in terms of the art world. Like, you know, you see 
things that women spent, you know, quilting. Oh my God, mm-hmm. like those things. I've tried to make a quilt before. It is not easy. It takes a really long time. But then it's not seen as the same thing as a painting. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, you know, and I hate titles as well, but like you rejected, you know, fiber artist. I was going to say, how do you deal with the word craft? Well, you know. As in, no, like, yeah, you know, yeah. stitch work, not right. your craft as a painter. But Yeah, I think of it in craft as a painter. I mean, you know, I think that those kind of boundaries are really fading at this point in time, but they're still not completely faded. But they're enough where I don't think, like, I don't know, it's still, it's still out there. It just depends. Like, I, th- I think about Mike Kelly. I love his work. <laughs> um, He's like one of my favorites. He's on the list. He's on the, he on the list? list. Yeah. Right here, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's one of my one of my favorites, and I had like a really intense, life changing moment with one of his. Pe- I actually have a very kind of interesting history with Mike Kelly. I guess I'll just go ahead and tell it to you. I saw my friend Joe at who's one of my good friends at Pratt, and we were one of the few people that were painting figures at Pratt. It was not the thing to do. Um, and so we kind of bonded and we would go out and see shows together and that kind of thing. And he and I went to a show at Gagosian and it was a Mike Kelly show. And it was like, I, you know, I can't remember exactly what I've tried to go back and find the show later, but it was really bad painting. I mean, like it was supposed to be, um, bad painting and it was really graphic kind of like Carol Dunham kind of, and I remember seeing it with Joe and both of us were like, this is horrible. Like, who is this guy? And why Why is this at Gagosian? Like, what? what is the point of this work? And we did not, neither one of us liked it. I did not get it, but, but it made me mad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when I saw it, I was angry that it existed. And, like, I didn't, I couldn't get it at all. And now I've come to realize, like, if I have a reaction like that to something, I need to take a closer look at that. I always right. say that. <laughs> yes, that's I absolutely agree. right. I agree. The yeah. stuff that you're talking about, you know, especially after a day in like New York, you know, when you're at the bar later and there's still like something gnawing at you. Yes. I think, wow. That For weeks I, after attention. I saw that Mike Kelly show, I was upset by it. Yeah. I was just like, this is not art. And I never have that reaction. Like I'm pretty open about what I, everything is art, yeah. whatever. But that Mike Kelly show got under my skin and you know, I looked at his work a little bit, but I had kind of dismissed him. And then I saw again, I, I, right like closer to when I left New York, it was 2010. I went to one of the Whitney's, um, I forget what they call it, but it's like a recap of all their biennials. And they had like uh, an 80s room, you know, <laughs> from the different biennials they had had through the years. And they had Mike Kelly's uh, More Love Hours Than Can Ever Be Repaid and The Wages of Sin, which is that piece with the stuffed animals stuck mm-hmm. to it and a little candle votive uh, witchery, you know, in front of it. And then that was right next to a Julian Schnabel black velvet painting. And I saw those two pieces. I just, like, was frozen. Like, oh, this, yeah. this makes so much sense to me. And that really changed my direction. And I was like, this is the same guy that did that show that I hated at Gagosian. And I, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta put this, these pieces together. Like how did he get, cause that piece was one of his earlier pieces, mm-hmm. the stuffed animal piece. And then the Gagosian show I had seen was, you know, very recent work. And so I had to go back and like, look at his whole body and like, how did he get from this stuffed animal to those kind of crude paintings of of the body and so then I started getting into his videos and like the whole Mm. all of it and I just was like oh I'm in love like (laughs) yeah that's great yeah it was a long thing but that those two pieces together like you know I'm a I was like raised to play by the rules like these are the rules and Uh you follow them and you do you study and you do well and I was a good good student like I'm that kind of person I do good on standardized test right (laughs) so you know um i went to pratt and they and i didn't know anything about painting and they told me these are the rules like this is how you make a formal painting you know Mm -hmm. they were very against adding texture to the surface of a painting you know that was kind of something across the board that i got from all my professors why are you putting thick texture on your painting they didn't like that at all you know and so 
I was like, okay, these are the rules of painting and I'm trying to do this thing. And then it wasn't until I saw that, and I, I graduated from Pratt like way before I saw that pairing. And I had been trying to do painting the way you were, I thought right. in my head you were supposed to do painting until I saw that Mike Kelly painting um, and that Julian Schnabel. And I was just like, these guys are doing whatever, they, they're doing what I want to be doing and they're calling it painting and this was in the Whitney in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do I not even know about this? So that was like a really big eye-opening moment for me where I was like, I felt like I could be myself and do what I wanted to do. And I didn't need to listen to my professors. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always amazed at how much uh, self-educating is necessary and how much work to get to that point where you're saying like, you know, you feel like you're making the work that you should be making. You want to be making. Right. But like, like even the technical, whether it's shedding some of your chops or, or changing materials, you know, and it's not just like set up your easel and get your oils out. And then, you know, and then 50 years go by. I mean, I <laughs> right. think that's fantastic that it's like, what's the right tool for the job. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, every conversation we've ever had, I just sense this, like this hunger for, you know, experimentation and, and enthusiasm, which I think that's phenomenal to, to have that. Like when suddenly you're doing this, you know, for a living, you're an educator, yeah. you yeah. have two children, you know, like you run a podcast. But you mm. know, my kids actually did the opposite of what people say kids will do for you. Like they made me focus on my art. Like, I, have I got heard that. really yeah. serious about it after I had kids. Mm -hmm. Because before that, I could like dilly dally around. Yep. I saw a lot of work. I spent a lot of time looking at other people's work and comparing the ideas I had in my head to what other people were doing. But then, like, once I had kids, I was like, I only have this amount of time. Right. It's time to work, you know? Right. And then I was, you I got more efficiently. I got really efficient about it. And I, I got really into having a schedule to work, which I never had before I had kids. And then you could just be like, yeah, I'm going to go drink, a, you know, I'm going to mm -hmm. go out and look at shows. I'm going to go have a few drinks and we're going to yep. talk about art. Yeah. And I did that a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot. But I mean, don't you think that that's also, that is part of it? I mean, you need to know, know when to say, when, you know, but I mean, I, I think that's that to have that vocabulary, that it's visual vocabulary, it. like I, you know, you have to see paintings in person uh, or anything. You need to see art in person and not right. on a phone or, you know, or in a really good book even, Absolutely. you know, and I just, yeah. and that's one thing I noticed in our current climate. Like you can't the, have that moment. Like I had with the right, Mike Kelly that's right. over a phone. Yeah, right. You know, um, People pay a lot of attention to, you know, the way something is hung or how it's lit. Uh, so, I mean, those things, I think, that's what, I mean, you think about how many amazing painters there are in it, in Atlanta, you know, or in, uh, you know, in New York or it, what separates, you know, one from the other. And sometimes I wonder, you know, is it some of the technical stuff, you know, above and beyond content. I don't know if it content. is that I, at all. I mean, you know, it's a lot of networking in New York, uh, but you know, it's not always about technical skill. And I worry because, and that is another thing about having kids. Like I worry, I feel like I'm the best painter I've ever been right now, but I can't go out drinking with people to have these conversations. Like I just don't, that's the one thing that I had to kind of cut out is the socializing as much because I just don't have the energy. I have to get up at six o'clock to go to my job, like to commute. And then I'm going to make work and then I have children. And so like the going out at night is something that I can't do. Yeah, anymore. I know. I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's important. Like today we're here for a talk, um, you know, like it's important to make time for that. But mm -hmm. obviously like that's, you know, normally I'd be in a studio right now. Right. Um, so I'm constantly always aware of that. You know, it's I'm always thinking about the clock, like, all right, how many yeah. hours do I have? And. But um, but just kind of backing up a second, like I I don't think I'm speaking to like pure technical, like who's the technically best painter. Mm. But I just mean in terms of like you're saying to have that confidence where you feel like you are really top of your game, sharp. And is it just the subtle things like how you use color or texture? I mean, you could be making like Joyce Pensato kind of I gestural. <laughs> you know, so I'm not saying like it has to be you know John Curran or right. whomever that you deem you know higher on these uh, levels of I've spent skill. a lot of time looking at John Curran because, you know, I told you I was into figure painting yeah. when I was at Pratt. And I, he was the thing, him and um, Lisa Yuskevich, yeah. um, when I was there. In fact, I just finished going over a, a Mirror Shore essay about their work um, with oh, my students. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I 
John Curran is really interesting to me because his the work he got famous for is kind of horrible. I mean, technically, it's not good. Like, it, that's something that you won't know unless you see it in person. But his, like, earlier pieces with those uh, women measuring their boobs, like, you know, that are really he, gaudy. But wasn't that a conscious decision, like, to really exaggerate, like, the facial features or the breasts? And... Well, yeah, those were exaggerated, like, but, like, talking like his, society... I'm talking about his painting skills. Like, just pure, like, could he execute um, naturalism or okay. was he able to do it? I don't think so in his early paintings. Like, his... His execution was just not there. His later paintings, they started getting kind of more boring subject matter, but the surface of them, you just wanted to lick it. It was really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. That's my feelings on him. Yeah. I like Lisa Yuskevich better. I, I still don't know what to make of uh, Yuskevich at, at times. Some of those are just, it's the, it's the color on a lot of those. It's just like. I like how she turns things up like that. And, you know, when you hear her talk, she's, like, really out there as a person. And I feel like that just kind of reflects her personality. It's like I have that utmost respect. I feel like, you know, why does John Curran get away with, like, making, you know, like, as he would call them, like, the porn pictures? And she, I feel like she caught a lot more shit for what she's doing from all sides, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, what is that? And then she... Well, I think part of it is, you know, one of the reasons that I really... um, empathize with her she's from a working class background she went to Yale yeah. and when you hear her talk about Yale I'm like yes 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 like all those things that you just said that was my experience too yeah, so. so like she you know she just is she feels intimidated when okay. she was at Yale like it seemed like she felt like there, everybody there was smarter than her and knew more than her the imposter syndrome and yes and I had that too and I understand that. And I feel like John Curran has never had that. He's never had that background kind of like pulling. He's always been able to talk about. He's been always being able to talk a good game, even when he couldn't paint that game. You know, that's that's the way that I look at the two of them. And I think that people in New York are real like bloodthirsty about like this person doesn't know what she's talking about. Or, you know, like if they get a hint of that kind of uh, she got into Yale on a fluke, like, you know, they're going to they're like sharks in the and blood in the water there with wow. that but i think that i think john curran is never he always comes off as somebody who knows what he's talking about yeah i can't imagine you know going to a school like that you know and like just in some schools that like i've visited the different cultures you know i was glad that i had the experience of a place where you know it's still intense but it you could breathe and it was we're all you know super competitive with ourselves yeah but there is at least a a level of uh protection from that just ruthless new york uh especially it was intense what made you i mean did you i didn't know what i was getting into did you look at a lot of school i mean it's a tremendous i did you know what i had decided was um and this reminds me of the conversation i had with kelly earlier for those of our listeners who don't know that I'm doing a doubleheader podcast. Yeah. Doubleheader <laughs> podcast. Yes, she's yeah. a professional. <laughs> and um, Kelly went to the Art Institute. Right. You know, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. She had the, the name for it. S-A-I-C. Yeah. I think we have to genuflect when you say that. Yeah. And so she was having the same kind of talk. Like, you know, I was we were talking about critics in Atlanta. And the whole, does everybody that's a critic, are they also an artist? Which is weird for me because in New York, the critics are not usually artists. But here, the people who are writing are also artists. And I was like, I don't think I could do both. I like to write, but like, I don't, I feel like that's, uh, it's like it cross purposes to. Well, it puts you in a, in a weird position. Yes. And it's funny, like we just talked about it on, I think, one of our last episodes. Mm-hmm. And it specifically was from a great Mike Kelly um, article where he was talking about you know double agency you know artist and curator and it's either like oh you're either a good curator but your art sucks or vice versa and i think it's changed a little bit but i mean like we were saying like you know donald judd seemed to be able to right you know Mm -hmm. or maybe that's because we're looking back on it now um or just because he was donald judd i don't know but um you know, on one hand, here we are, like doing a podcast, so we're kind of stepping outside of the box of like you're That's a painter. True, but we're not like this. Isn't like a judgment. 
Like, I'm not making a judgment on people's art when I have them on the podcast. I'm, like, talking oh, to yeah. them about their process. So is that the line? Because we were having trouble. At what point do you cross over into criticism? I think when you make a judgment. So you're, like, saying this is good or this is not good. That's what criticism is Now, to you me. just did that a few minutes ago. But not about... You guys aren't doing that to me. Did we're you not say doing that? currently. You're talking about the Mike Kelly... Uh, I mean, I'm saying what I think is good, but that's that's not. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Think that's criticism. <laughs> I don't I think criticism not. would be like if we just were talking about like a show. We just, I mean, by letter of the law, but I mean, especially criticism. Criticism isn't like most of us sitting around after a show somewhere, and you know, I like it or I or I don't. I mean, yeah. to me, it's like you're hopefully have a thesis and you're, right, you know, right. There's yeah. some thought and yeah. research going into this thing versus just this knee jerk. I don't like the color. Or, yeah. Um, right. But and, we're talking about it in terms of our own work and, you know, what Kelly and I was talking about and what I was about to get with the, with the Pratt thing and you were asking me about going to New York and how I ended up there. And that's where I went off at this tangent. No, but I Kelly, asked like 50 questions usually in one. <laughs> yeah, my fault. I'm sorry. But Kelly and I were talking about our experiences and I was like, you know, I don't mind tough criticism. Like to me, I, like I told you, I hated Mike Kelly. If someone hates my work, I realize that's probably a good thing. Like, I'm like, good. I got a strong yeah. reaction from them. Yes. I would prefer someone to hate my work than to just walk right by it. You know? That's right. Right. Um, sure. And so, but Kelly and I were talking about when I was at Pratt, and part of that is like, boy, it really toughened me up because I, I can't tell you how many critiques I walked out of crying. Really? You know, like pretty intense. And then, but now I don't think you could make, there's no way you could make me cry about my work. Like there, there's nothing that you could say about my work where I would be like destroyed by that. Like there's, you know, I just have like a really solid wall about it where I'm just like, this is what I'm doing. You can like it or you can right. not like it, I you know, that. and that's, that's really what I got out of Pratt. Like that was the best thing it did for me. It really toughened me up a lot. Um, but I didn't know it was going to be tough. Like I didn't even, I didn't know anything about the art world uh, really, which is funny cause I had a degree from UGA. Sorry, UGA, but, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah. but no, this is a long time ago and in my, in my undergrad and I'm a weird case because I started off at Georgia Tech as an architecture major. And then when I transferred to UGA, I was just like, what's the quickest way I can get a diploma and get out of here? And I had a photography degree. Um, so I didn't take a single painting class. I didn't take many art history classes. I didn't take any foundations at UGA. You know, all I took was photo classes and I was like out of there. You know? Oh, wow. Okay. So how so, did you feel? Did you feel the need to... You needed to fill those gaps somehow? Yes. How did you do that later? And see, that was grad school for me. Okay. And like that's when I went to Pratt, I didn't know what I had missed because I, yeah. I had done architecture and I didn't know anything about painting. And I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I, I just knew I was a painter. Like I wanted to paint, but I didn't know about all the other stuff that was wow. going to be yeah. associated with it. I mean, I really had no clue. I was just like, this is going to be fun and... <laughs> No, okay, so I see that I, I see that as an advantage. Do you do you see it now as an advantage, disadvantage? And at the time, I mean, has maybe it changed it's an advantage because I might not have gone if I knew what I was in for. You know? Oh, really? I mean, I I don't think there's any way you can. Know I yeah, what you you're, can't. You know, no. I, I just remember being you know obviously petrified on a lot of levels. You know, like what if I what yeah. if I'm not ready for this? And it's like tough. You know, it's like bell bell rings and. It's time. It. I look back on myself at that point and I'm like, like I was pretty brave and I don't, I think yeah. maybe I was a little bit stupid more than brave. Not just <laughs> <laughs> like, I just didn't know. I was just naive. Yeah. But it's and, like you say, you, you, you might not have taken that leap had you, but you figure if somebody, if you have the opportunity, the invitation to come to a school like yeah. that, then somebody somewhere or, you know, a committee has said there's something here. Right. And that to me is like, you got to, play that loop through your head when you're feeling like, man, like I don't belong here or That's I true. did. Uh, I, I, when I got there, I was just like, I was shocked. I even talked to the head of the department one time and I was like, I'm having a really rough time here. And I feel like everyone hates my work and the professors think that I'm horrible. And I was like, how did I get in here? I just like asked him that point blank. And he's like, we saw something in your work. Um, you know, he was kind of like, you have to believe in yourself. That's like, great. Yeah. You know, and, but I, I didn't, you know, he, he was nice enough to say that to me and he was a really nice guy. Um, but my professors were not so nice and they were just like, your work sucks, you know, but they didn't, they didn't say it like that. They said it in much more 
hurtful ways over the course of <laughs> two years. <laughs> like, Do you think they were trying to get, you know, was that like the, the teaching, uh, you know, is it Jedi Knight? What's the reference? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, do you think it is that to try to just really keep you searching and climbing? And I don't think it was on purpose on their part, but it did work. You know, I mean, and I'm like, I'm in therapy now, so I'm like, what does that say about me? <laughs> I needed them That's... to just beat me up. Like, <laughs> maybe there could have been a better way, but you know, I don't know. I went. I I had a period. I was working as a photographer, and I was out of you know undergrad for six years before I went to grad school. And what happened with me is just I had a, I got divorced. I got married when I was 22. And so when I was 29, I got divorced and like I was in Athens and I was just like, you know what? I'm out of here. Like I'm moving to New York. That's courageous. Like the, this is the thing. I didn't know a single person in New York City. Wow. Not anyone. And I moved there like the first January 1st, 2000 in the middle of a blizzard with one van full of stuff, you know? Wow. So it was, it was pretty intense, but it was great. It was a great time for me. Like, Oh, I have to admire that. It was like free, you know, so freeing. Yes. I felt like I had never been that free in my life. And you know, on top of with the divorce too, cause that was great for me because I disappointed everybody I knew. And oh. so I, that was for, cause I, I told you I'm like a person, I like to follow the rules, want to do things the right way. And like my family was so disappointed when I got divorced and my, you know, my oh. sisters, my parents, and so I was just like able to be this completely different person that wasn't kind of held by all of these rules that I had set up for myself. So it was freeing. Yeah, it was totally that's a, freeing. That's an art life, though. I think. I mean, we're always getting back to this, and we always think that that this podcast veers into therapy oh, every very time. quickly, every time. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think the same thing. Like you know, in terms of giving uh, giving yourself permission you know, to live a fairly unorthodox life, you know, where there aren't any rules necessarily in what type of work you want to make or how you go about, you know, bringing it to market or all these, I mean, there's so much ambiguity. I mean, it's, it, it is, it's freeing, sure. But then there's those moments of, you know, abject terror, I think yeah. that we yeah. all face. I mean, that's what alcohol is for. <laughs> so it's a combination of alcohol and therapy. Yes. Okay. Not <laughs> not both formula. at the same time. For me it was yeah. it was alcohol and then therapy. That was oh, wow. the whole so, so all of this so the domestic the domestic side of it, you, you talked about that earlier. Um do you feel that this life that the even the um the the art world itself, um is there a bias against that domesticity? You mean like against that as a subject matter, or against me as an artist? Well, with because I think it's you as an different. artist. You as an artist. I don't think it is on purpose, uh-huh. but I think that it happens because of what we were talking about with networking. Because I can't do the networking. Oh, okay. Um, that I used to be able to do, which is really ironic to me because when I networked all the time, I was really much worse artist than I am now. Now I feel like my work is much better, but I don't have the, I can't network the way that I used to. Um, but you know, I do feel like that a lot of things happen when you're out having drinks at night Mm -hmm. and you're meeting people and you're getting to have these kind of more intimate conversations with people Mm -hmm. where you connect as artists, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh, we should have a show together. We should Mm -hmm. do this. And it's not really a, discrimination as much as it is that I just can't be there for those conversations the way that I used to could be. I think back two things I think back on the, the uh, David Sally Uh essay where he, he talks about this is a, this is a world that rewards youth yeah, and values cherishes youth. Um, And then I also think back to the, this has been a while ago, but the Michelle Grabner incident uh, with the critic, I don't have it in front of me, and I can't recall right off the top of my head. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. And immediately called in Michelle Grabner as soccer mom. Do you remember this? No. Yeah, this was um... this was a while ago. I yeah. am a soccer mom. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, but but again, like we all have so was, many different. I was amazed at how that entered into the criticism, and I didn't see first of all how it was relevant. I think it does enter in, and you know, I've had I'm teaching this feminist theory class right now, so we're looking a lot at this kind of okay. like 
not blatant discrimination, but kind of more like how in, in today's day and age, it more plays out in things like that. Um, you know, it, it really, to me, is uh, also heavily class-based. You know, like I said, I really feel Lisa Yuskevich because I understand, like, coming from, if you don't have a lot of money, you know, people with a lot of money, it doesn't matter if you have kids or not, you can hire a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really afford to hire a babysitter every time I want to go to an opening. So, inst- and my husband works at night okay. um, a lot. So it's very difficult for us to kind of juggle. I mean, he's great. And he like, you know, like today, he's like taking the kids to a Taekwondo tournament and getting yeah. them ready for the parade and yeah. like doing all of that kind of stuff because he knows that I'm not Vivian if I can't do my art stuff, you know? Yes. So, but if if I had a different partner, you know, it would be a totally different scenario if I had someone who didn't think it was important for me to come and right. talk to other artists, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be with that person, I guess, but some people are, you know, and I think that calling someone a soccer mom and like, and putting that into the criticism, what it, what it's basically doing is saying you're, you're calling them out for not being serious about right. their work. Yes. And that, that was the subtext. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I, you're, you're a dilettante and, yeah. Uh, well, you know, for years that's that, and I'm sure some people look at it uh, teaching as right. that. You know, in the classic New York school, like, oh, you you have to teach, uh, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, to me, I think I, I think there's a lot of great artists that are teaching, mm-hmm. or at least like hopping the train, like up to Bart, Amy Silman, yeah. and folks like that. It seems to really uh, inform their practice. Totally. Um, I, I'm still, I want to rewind one second though to where you were talking about, you know, like the need for networking or feeling like you're missing out. But I'm also wondering, it seems a lot of artists that I've really admired uh, seem to at some point have to distance themselves and whether they literally like, and I'm not talking <coughs> like the Abex guys going out to dry out, like, you know, right, out right. in the springs. <laughs> and, but I mean, that was part of it. But like, why does so many, artists have a studio upstate you know obviously it's nice what what a luxury but also to get a little bit away from all the noise and well I mean when you get to a certain point in your career I mean you're talking about those guys going to dry out or whatever but at that point they already had careers see that's another thing right like I think you know once I'm having solo shows on the regular you know and I don't have to like court people to have shows then it would it's slightly different but it's like it's what kind of career stage you're in you know, I know like, but i think like to I, and i don't know if i'm this is just me like placating myself but there's a huge part that i'm always like yeah but it's got to be the work first oh, and it true. sounds like like you're saying like wow you really uh have worked your ass off to get your work to this point and there's an amazing amount of growth in the last three years that's like evident on your on your website um you know, so do you play your cards in terms of okay, I'm going to think long term here, versus like wow, because you're not hanging at the you know the bar till two in the morning. And like, I just sure. try to keep focusing back on the work, like because yeah, okay. if I can't like if I start thinking about stuff like that, it it's just a dark road, you know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but it's almost like you don't even know what you're missing. Like, and there's times where like you know I've left an opening and it's like I know like okay everyone's going around the corner and you're like yeah but that's gonna blow my day in the studio tomorrow right yep. and even maybe the next day yeah and you're right. like all right screw it you know I'm not the I'm... I already had my lost decade like <laughs> I did that for really a decade like yeah. going out all the time and it didn't get me anywhere in my work <laughs> I mean I did have a lot of great conversations none of which I remember you know yeah. so like I have like these you know, now I'm, I'd rather focus on the work. Even if I, the kids have been great for me because even if I didn't have the kids, mm-hmm. this is what I should be doing. Right. You know, so I feel like it's, it's really good for me. I mean, I think I often tell myself like, you know, Lucian Freud didn't go out hopping openings, you know, like yeah. he's, he just was in this, yeah. his own space doing his own thing. I can't imagine he would be any fun. Oh, no. Man, he'd be awesome to hang oh. out with. You know, you don't think? Be, there'd definitely be some awkward moments. I don't know. I just, that's I've, just my first glance. I mean, I, I, well, my the, son is named after him. I love his work. I just can't imagine. I just picture it like, ooh. But, the, but then contrast that with Francis Bacon. Yeah. Who, I don't know how he got all that done. Well, they were friends. They were friends. But he also, Bacon had like the handler that would take, literally take stuff off the easel. And, yeah. You know. 
Because yeah. otherwise he'd just he'd kill it. Yeah, but the but the partying that guy did. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and, and the hours that he kept, I mean, it, it's insane the schedule that he had. I mean, he would party all night and then hit the studio. Like, when do you sleep? When do you recover? Ugh. All the way to the end, from what I understand. Well, I don't know. I I can't do that. That's not, <laughs> that's not somewhere I could go. So I, I'm curious how this, uh, how does this really enter into the classroom? Which part? Just this? in general, like your your enthusiasm, this hard uh, one wisdom. You know, is it something that you feel like? Is it a? Like, Are do you the wait for listening? Do certain students pull it out of you? Or well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, you know how students are, and I know I've been a student before. It's a rare thing that you have the wisdom that they need to hear, because like you know, they have to be at a point where they need you to say something, and then you have to say that right thing at that point. I think in order for it to work, because I know. Yeah, you're saying that really well. That's kind of guess what I'm fumbling towards. You know, like you can't just be up there and like, you know, espousing. Yeah. It's just being like receptive to what's needed in that moment. You know, in terms of are you the motivator or are you the? Oh man, dispensing these bits of wisdom. Well, or... I try. You know, I teach painting and drawing, and I teach. Um, I'm teaching feminist theory and criticism. I teach a craft media and painting class. Um, which is basically like I work and I really, my studio classes, I really try to stick to technique, you know, you, and I, and my modus operandi is whatever the student is doing, I try to make them do the opposite thing. Like whatever they seem to be the best at, I try to go for their weak points. Like, you know, you're using a lot of line, let's focus on value. You know, I always do the opposite of, or, which is hard for them. You know, but I'm trying to make them grow in technique. Yeah. So that's that's generally how I teach in terms of that. You know, I found that my my feminist theory class has been great for me as an artist because I've been able to read all these texts that I wanted to read, yeah. and my students are, they seem to be getting a lot out of it. Like they seem to really like it. That's great. So you're actually getting a dialogue instead yes. of just having to have a conversation with yourself sometimes. Well, <laughs> I don't. I you know. So I'm trying to be a good feminist. So I read some Bell Hooks, um, Teaching to Transgress, which is a book on how to basically teach in a feminist style before I started the course. And I set the course up in good feminist form, which means that I don't talk every day. Um, The students present. I have what I call lead presenter days. And so a different student presents every day. And so I sometimes say nothing during the entire class. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Write that down, Joe. You know, I just come in and I have them do a presentation at the beginning where they present a couple of slides of art that's in the essay that we've read. And then we do a different reading every night and they show some artwork and then they mention some points that they want to talk about and they have to lead the discussion. And you literally will say nothing? Like Sometimes I will. It, I, I have a hard time. I was going to say that would be really hard. <laughs> I, I'm just like, shut up, Joe. Shut up. But I'm curious, so like if something's wrong or like you're just dying to ask, but you literally like kind of gag yourself, that's, that's great. I'm working on it, which is, you no, know. I love the honesty. I'm cause... like, I'm really not a great listener, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I've been trying to get better at listening. It's funny because now I'm on you guys' podcast and I'm aware of that, that I'm the talker person because I'm the guest, you know. four eyes staring at you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to talk, but like I've spent the last episodes of my podcast trying to talk less and less, and I'm trying to do the same thing in my classroom um, to kind of just get out of the way. I can't help myself, and I do interject a lot more than I wish I would. Oh, I agree. I do the same. Um, I did. What I try to do is the days, <laughs> the days that I know, like the day that we talked about Lisa Yuskevich and John Curran, and I was like, you know what? I am a real expert on this subject because I've been seeing their work in person for 10 years. And so I presented that day because I was just like, they're not, they're not going right. to, they're not going to satisfy me right. on this front. And I know a lot more than they do. So I did present, uh, you know, I, I picked the days where I'm like, I'm not going to be able to shut up on this day. And I just presented. That's great. <laughs> so, but you know, I've been, I, I just finished reading. So a couple of podcast things since we're both podcasters, Celeste Headley, are you familiar with her new book? She's no. like a, she's not a podcaster, I guess, but she's the NPR person in Atlanta, um, 
and she has a new book out. She did a book signing in Athens, and my husband works for UGA Press. So he went. He goes to all the book events, and I go to all the art events, and we never go to any events together. You will never see us in the same room because we like, you oh, know, wow, yeah. one of well, us yeah. is taking you, the kids. You cover more uh, territory that way, though, so <laughs> yeah. it's not a bad strategy. But she has a book out, and he went to the reading. He bought the book. I read the book. That's how we do. He brings tons of books home. Yeah. He never reads them. They sit in the stacks because he like that's his job at work. I read all the books, um, but it's called We Need to Talk. And it's explicitly about how to have better conversation skills. Great for podcasters to read. It also was painful because you're like, oh, I do that. Oh, yeah, I talk over people. Oh, yeah, I repeat myself endlessly, you know. But and that's the one thing that she said that like really hurt me because I was like, I know I repeat myself. But how do you do that on a podcast? Not to interject. I feel that and I I literally like I can't stand to hear myself talk Um, and yet we do this and it's great because you're able to you know there are a lot of reasons we're doing this podcast that you know like that you get to talk to people meet new people you know get out of your own head but there's that inevitable thing where you're going to repeat a story or an article and I just like you and I were talking in my studio a couple months ago about like certain podcasts like Mark Maron and you know like good interviews bad interviews and you know, you, you realize it's a lot of work to, A, be able to come up with questions, like a solid question, you know, like, and loft it over the net to you and then shut up and let it be answered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to, I mean, it's a lot of it's work. It's a real skill that yeah. I think takes a while to be developed. I, I feel like I'm only okay at it because I've been teaching for a long time. I can see and that, I yeah. see it to be very similar in that way. All right, so let's. Uh, I have to interject something at this point, and then we're, I want to come back to the whole podcast topic and plug your podcast. Okay. Um, I want to first, talk about Mark Maron more too. Oh, and Mark Maron. Yeah. I love him. Do you really? Yes. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> first, let me say a word for ArtsTie.com. ArtsTie.com provides the largest jobs and career resource site for jobs in the arts. Do you know about this? No. No. We all know that if you have a job in the arts or are considering a career in the arts, uh, maybe arts administration, for example, it can be a very difficult field to navigate. And, uh, you know, the traditional job sites, LinkedIn, so forth, they just don't uh, do it justice. But the people at Arts Tie understand this and have created the perfect destination, whether you're looking to post jobs or you want job alerts, maybe. You should check it out. Visit artstie.com. That's artstie. A-R-T-S-T-I-E dot com. Um, do you sometimes find it grating? I adore him. Like, okay. Everything he does is genius to me. I love... I, I mean, he tells the same stories over and over again. Um, he has personal issues, which he talks about all the time. And the, the Celeste... It's funny because the Celeste Headley book is like, you know... It's the opposite. If you follow her advice and she's like an NPR person, you would never make Mark Maron's podcast because it's too self-involved and like he's very self-involved. Right. Um, it's less now because we were talking about that like for yes. for many years. It was every conversation got to like his dad. Yeah. They were like, you know, <laughs> what about your dad? Do you have, you know, and it's like, oh, here it comes. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what Joe was telling me the other day was the, the repeating and then he was saying that I do this. You know, I do this myself, he said. What is your thing that you bring up? My thing that I bring up? No, we keep going No, we keep going to the anxiety. Oh, I have that too. Yeah. And that's why I like Mark Maron. He has a generalized anxiety <laughs> disorder. Um, so he, I think that kind of informs the... What, oh, what, what are you doing? I'm sitting on my wallet. <laughs> I had the George Costanza wallet speaking, speaking of anxiety. He's afraid, he's yeah. afraid you're going to get held up? <laughs> Oh, wait, wait. So what's your thing with anxiety? You just... No, we talk about the... You know, it's tough when you're talking about the creative life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're, you've chosen... You know, this is something you feel you have a compulsion to create mm-hmm. as part of who you are. And it, it does tend to turn into a therapy episode, right? But I think that it comes up for a reason. People, it's important to people and it's something that we all experience. You know, the pressures of, is this something I really want to do? Is this something I really need to do? Is this a good choice for me and my family, spending my time this way? And yet, it's a part of who you are. 
And I, I think that, that, that that's what's always, that's, that's a theme, I would say, that runs sure. through. Well, mental health is a thing with Marin, and he, and I'm really interested in the way he addresses it. And he, I basically model my podcast after his. So I have like an opening thing where I get sometimes too personal, and I never want to hear it again. I'm like, I can't believe I just said that to a public audience. And then the same thing, I have a closer where I generally kind of like wrap up something that we talked about. I'll get more political mm-hmm. in my introductions and stuff like he does, go on little rants. Uh-huh. Um, but that that's the authenticity. And, you know, I think yeah. especially like it's not like it's a new part of comedy. That started with Woody Allen, didn't it? Yeah. With his stand-up. Because I can't think of I anybody really before. I really love Woody Allen. I do too. I do too. <laughs> What's not? We can all agree on that. I, with Marin, though, like, I, yeah, it can be maybe a little annoying at times, but we can't we all? I mean, like I, like I said, like, man, I don't want to hang out with myself. But he's um, endearing to me like Woody Allen. Woody Allen is also and can be grating and annoying. Right. But you kind of give him a pass, like, that's just him. That's his personality. But he keeps coming back to, to the... To talk over you, like I shouldn't be doing. Rule number seventy-two. Or whatever. <laughs> but uh, but like I think what you're saying though is like there is kind of this blueprint for a creative life. I mean, yes. and he's very honest about it. I mean, like he you know took some hits for a long, long time. He's conquered you know substance abuse. Like, and I don't feel like he's preachy about it. And he there's been a progression too. I mean, he's with his success. I think he's been more humbled and uh, in a good. And he he will recognize that, but it doesn't wind up being like this this pure self-help type thing but I I agree like I think it's it's just connecting you know he like I try to do the same thing he does where I I do want to ask like what is your background what you know what's your family situation because you really if you want to talk about your deep issues in your art and not just kind of on a a formalism like what's on the surface of your art if you want to get into the deeper issues I feel like you have to go there and have those kind of I feel like with people on my podcast, I forgot to talk to Kelly about her family today. And I was like, damn it. Cause afterwards she mentioned something about her mom. And I was like, I totally spaced on that. I usually try to get in there, but like, if you want to find out where people's work is coming from, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to get into a personal space. And I feel like to like ask kind of questions about your family is like the easiest way to get there. Okay. You know? Okay. And he does that. And it's like a blueprint for me. And I kind of follow that blueprint. And I feel like, you know, as a creative person, at some point in your youth, you, you know, you nobody, um, I don't know anybody who came to be an artist, like, all of a sudden, and they're, you know, you're like that your whole life. And you just That's kind true. of, John it Curran. unfolds. How old was he? I'm kidding. I'm oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before old paintbrushes at, you know, age six. <laughs> Plug your podcast. Tell us a bit more about it and how people can can. Uh, okay, hear. so it's on all the podcast places, um, iTunes, uh, Stitcher. It's on my website, which is VivianLiddell.com. dot com. V i v i a n l i d d e l l dot com, and it's called Peachy Keen. And I started it in March of this year, so I've only been doing it for a short time. And it was really a straight-up reaction to the election. Really? Yeah. Um, because your focus is... Women. Um, I have, I'm interviewing women about art and the South. So it doesn't have to be artists, mm-hmm. but it has to be somebody who has something to say about art. Okay. And I'm, you know, so far I've only done 10 inter- interviews, and it's kind of a lot narrower than I had originally envisioned it because I'm just organically taking requests or you should interview this person, you should interview this person. So it's a lot of inner Atlanta art world is what's happening. But what I want to happen is I want to have broader conversations about art in this region. Okay. Because I feel like, you know, I grew up in the South. I'm originally from Memphis and I grew up in South Georgia, very different than Atlanta. And the idea of like what the definition of art is, Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to talk to more women about that. And uh, because I feel like Atlanta is not a representative of the South, like there's the urban and then there's the rural. And I would like to talk to more women who are outside of the art world. Um, haven't really got there yet, but that's where I'm, I want to head. <clears throat> so then I'm talking about definitions of art and like inclusivity and exclusivity and um, 
but you know what really pushed me to it was the election and i my work is has always been feminist in content and i was starting to think like it really wasn't <laughs> like really literally right i thought hillary clinton was going to be president and i'm thinking like you know in december like you know vivian your work is it's kind of stale this kind of whole idea <laughs> of like you know uh women being in a position of disadvantage and in the arts or like all these kind of issues or maybe you maybe it's played out and uh maybe you need to kind of move on to something else and then trump got elected and i was like nope (laughs) not played out need to step it up a little bit more and i'm gonna like go even deeper into the like i'm gonna get more vocal we just we just gave kudos to woody allen yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and now we've got the Weinstein thing. Mm-hmm. So, how do you feel about that? Do I you... want to put this on the record: never trust a man who has a sausage in his last name. That's what I got out of this. Weiner, Anthony Weiner. Um. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah. You know what? I didn't even think about that. You're absolutely right. Oh. <laughs> that's my that's my joke takeaway from the whole wow. situation. So, what do I think about that? I mean. I'm honestly really enjoying this whole takedown of of uh, men of power thing. Are you really? Yes. I'm I'm like awesome. This is happening. Didn't this we, is real. But did like, with Weinstein look, I'm not in Hollywood. I kinda had a feeling what was going on there. Right. I don't know. I'm not that close to it, but I mean we all kinda knew. Right. And and yet so many people who were close to it were just looking the other way. Yeah, that's I mean, and yet that's preaching great. to everybody else. Well, you know, I've I've been in situations many times. That's why it's like it's not surprising to anyone who is a woman that or this is I mean, that money, this yeah. money and power. I mean, and Hollywood, the the casting couch. But even the art world in New York is well, the same. And probably the art world in Atlanta, like anywhere. I've seen it. I mean, every, right. I've you know? seen it anywhere. There's power. Yes. This is happening. Yes. And so to me, this is great because this is a conversation about the redistribution of power. Is yeah. what's happening okay. right yeah. now. All right. um, I see it as we're now women are really starting to come into power, um, where things like this are not going to just slip through the cracks, and um, people are going to be held accountable for doing stuff like this. And that's not the way that business is going to be run. You know, that's what I mean by enjoying it. I mean, I don't. Yeah. No, I, I understand. I understand completely, and that's why I said earlier why we've continued. The war on men with Vivian Liddell today. <laughs> I love men. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. I am surrounded by what I call pickles at my house. Um. <laughs> but the, hey, I have two so boys. Many, but so many people think that in order, if you're going to be a feminist, well, you can't have a family or you hate family, a traditional family. Mm-hmm. And yet... We're seeing a perfect kind of balance here. I don't love marriage. I will say that. I am married, but only because it was like the easiest thing to do. But The easiest thing to do? Well, it was... You uh, mean like a practicality in practical. terms of like yeah. benefits? It was the most practical thing. Yeah. Um, because when we were in New York, we had a, um, what do they call it? A civil union. And they don't have those here. And okay. we had two kids in New York... And we had a civil union. And then we moved back to Georgia, and that means absolutely oh, nothing yes. in okay. the state of Georgia. Yeah. And so we were like, we talked to lawyers. You could pay thousands of dollars. You could draw up an agreement, and you still wouldn't have the same legal rights as a married couple. Or you could just get married for $60. And we were like, all right, fine. <laughs> like, we'll get married. I mean, it was really like a beating down of both of us because we had already, we already had two kids and had been together for 10 years before we got married. And we had no intention of getting married, but it was really about like the kids and health insurance. It was like practical yeah, right. Yeah, right, things of like that. Right. Um, I don't know how we got onto that. Oh, no, this is, this is great. You are being proactive about it and there's a conversation and you found your way to do that. And that's what I love. Just the, the kind of faux outrage that we see so much of right now, but then an unwillingness to do something about it or to communicate more effectively, proactively. That's the internet for you. (laughs) 
what I love most about it is conversations like this that wouldn't have otherwise happened. Right. So I want to I want to thank you for our conversation today. Yeah, this is great. And uh, hey, one more opportunity to plug here. Peachy Keen. Peachy Keen. And then your website. It's VivianLiddell.com. V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L. It's two D's, two L's. People yeah. always spell it wrong, so I always uh, do the spelling. <laughs> I also want to thank um, White Space Gallery, Susan at White Space Gallery, for letting us... Uh, this would for, be a great for, home for, oh, yeah. for all of our... But... <laughs> yeah, if we could just start hosting here. <laughs> yeah. We'll be we'll be back next Tuesday. No, this is this is fantastic. Oh yeah, gosh. and you can um, yeah, White Space Gallery. If you're in Atlanta and you have the opportunity to check it out, you should. And then on the webs on, on the, the interwebs at whitespace814.com. So uh, thanks again, and thank you, Vivian. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's fun. Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at BrainFuzzPodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag BrainFuzzPodcast. Now, get out there and engage in the dialogue.